0: Welcome back, crime fanatics. This is Steph.
1: And this is Kat, and if you notice that maybe my voice is a little bit off, it's because I spent the entire day at Six Flags Great America.
0: I have never been there.
1: Well, that's because you're in Ohio. You guys go to Cedar Point, is that right? Is that the right one?
0: Yep, and then we have Kings Island in the south. So, you wait, you have two in Ohio? Yeah, so Cedar Point is by Sandusky, which is up by the lakes. And then Kings Island is down probably about an hour north of Cincinnati.
1: Oh, I didn't realize you guys had two. That's pretty awesome. It's probably the best thing about
0: Ohio. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, so um, hold on. How about that World Series?
1: Um, I actually will have to say I am very happy with the outcome. I was definitely rooting for the Nationals.
0: I think it is hysterical. That they won without Bryce Harper.
1: Oh my God, Bryce-less. <laughs> the memes were wonderful afterwards. Right? I've been dying the past week. For sure. Um, I, oh, I, God, I forget that. It feels like that was so long ago and it was literally just a couple days ago. <laughs> yeah. It's been insane between like Halloween and just school everything the weather we had a blizzard here <laughs> for actually on Halloween like it's just been like the craziest week
0: you're very dramatic
1: no we really had a blizzard dude we had six inches of snow here oh my god you Halloween. had six inches oh my god yeah it was ridiculous That's it's gone said. now because it got warm out <laughs> yeah it was
0: <laughs> oh god <laughs> it's quite a bad time I, I, to pull that kind of joke out. <laughs> I'm,
1: gonna, I'm gonna leave that alone for right now. Okay. <laughs> um. So, oh, I know you had a big party this weekend.
0: Yes, the baby is turning one tomorrow, and we had his party yesterday.
1: That it, is so exciting.
0: It's so crazy to think that even though he's my third. Like, years just keep going by faster, and I don't know how he has won already.
1: And I have to say, so, obviously, I think my kids are the cutest, whatever. So, I'm unbiased on this one, but Steph's baby is the cutest baby. He is absolutely adorable. I'm going to steal him eventually, because <laughs> he's just the cutest baby. And he's, I can't he's going to be one.
0: He's always so happy, too. Always so happy.
1: That's probably part of what it is, like, why he's he's just always smiley. At least when I the pictures I see of him.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. I always send you the good things. <laughs>
1: Although, some of my favorite things, maybe because Jackson um, spawn, boy spawn, just because he was such a happy baby, too. Some of my favorite pictures of him are when I got ones where he was, like, bawling or just, like, <laughs> I don't know if that... <laughs> What that says about me, but some of those are my favorite.
0: I did take a video. Um, I he was really, really tired and he was trying to crawl over me to get to the remotes, and I kept telling him no. And that's like the first time we got like the lips stuck out and him screaming because we told him no.
1: Oh, don't tell my baby no.
0: (laughs) I thought it was funny. Mike was (laughs) laughing at me because of, um, like, I had to take, like, three videos to get, like, one that was pretty funny.
1: Well, and the thing that some people probably, well, I'm sure everybody on our podcast, unless they're friends or family listening, don't know, is that just for this little boy to be around is a miracle in itself, because he probably went, he went through quite a bit in his first few weeks of life.
0: Yeah, he, um, at two days old, well, He was born a month early to the day and he was a healthy six and a half pounds. Um, Everything about like his newborn test came back great, but he was throwing up whenever we were feeding him formula. So at two days old, he was transferred to Children's Hospital and at four days old, he had his first surgery, which God, I can't remember. I think it took upwards of like seven hours when it was supposed to be a three hour procedure for pyloric stenosis and that is where the muscle that takes your food from your stomach to your small intestine was too narrow so they had to go in and repair that but unfortunately they perforated his bowel in that surgery so at six days old we were back in emergency surgery to repair that
1: how do you pronounce that again because I've only read it when you like messaged me about things like this and in my head I was saying it differently than how you just said it
0: (laughs) Um, it's pyloric stenosis.
1: Okay, pyloric. Okay, I don't know why in my head it was different,
0: but anyways. <laughs> yeah, he. I, we spent like twenty-seven days in Children's Hospital when they originally told us it was going to be like a three to four-month recovery, but he far exceeded all of their expectations.
1: Well, and Children's just is just the. Some of the best of the best. My older brother had leukemia when he was um, a baby. Yeah, 15 months old, I believe. Me, this is before I was born. He's six years older than me. Uh, and then he also had brain tumors when he was in eighth grade. And they took very good care of our family between them and then Ronald McDonald House. So if anybody wants to donate to either of those things, they're... They take such good care of their families. They're amazing, amazing, amazing.
0: Yeah, I actually stayed at the Ronald McDonald House for, I think, like three weeks. And there were some days that I wouldn't have ate anything if it wasn't for the Ronald McDonald House. For the people who come in and volunteer their time to make food, like breakfast, lunch, or dinner for the, the family staying there
1: well I mean yeah you think we're going through so much and as a parent you're not worried about yourself you're worried about your kids so you know you got to have somebody there to look out for the the adults that are caring for the kids too so yeah Ronald McDonald House
0: I'm a huge huge supporter of them yeah and then um, while we were there last year actually someone that Kat and I both know um, from the mommy group that Kat and I met in
1: um, <laughs> I forgot where I knew her from to be honest with you too
0: that's funny um like I still have a few people on my po- or on my Facebook page
1: like lingering
0: yeah. from that but only a few yeah me too um but I think, uh, I think my politics is pretty much
1: uh weeded out <laughs> yeah I can see the ones that it needed
0: to <laughs> Oh, man. um, But, yeah, this friend of ours, actually, her daughter, which I think she's, like, what, 13? I don't think she's that
1: old, even. 11 would be my guess. So she has, I forget, her daughter is actually, like, a week or two older than my, her. Her youngest is a week or two older than my youngest. She's somewhere right in between are two that were born within a month of each other and then her next one is she's got to be like 11 that would be my guess
0: but anyways yeah she has had a tremendously awful year when I was in the hospital with Bubba I came across her blog about her daughter Allie having cancer and it's it was so bad last year that she almost died she spent well over 200 days in the hospital. But I just saw on um, her mom's Facebook the other day that she came home from the hospital after another lengthy stay. And she's still undergoing treatments for everything, but she's doing a lot better than where she was at this point last year. Yeah, I've been following that
1: as well. Um, Yeah yeah it's it's been it's amazing to see her recovery and she was in the hospital for like eight months this little girl um but it's also some of the posts are very hard as a mother to read and just the devastation of some of it but it's great and, and last year somewhere around Christmas I remember. Them not even thinking she was necessarily going to make it because of an infection that she had gotten. Um, yeah, was like she had gone through chemo and such. She had leukemia, um, and then they weren't sure she was going to make it because of an infection she had contracted afterwards. And she ended up being in the hospital for months and months. Like she missed most of her school year. But she survived and she came home. Now she's, she going through chemo again? I haven't looked at the most recent ones.
0: I, I'm pretty sure she's still undergoing it because you have to do it until you're in remission, I believe. I yeah. think, especially with leukemia I, I, because it's such a progressive yeah. cancer, especially in kids.
1: Yeah, well, and so her mom blogs on CaringBridge. And I would recommend, so it costs money to keep those going as well. Um, So anybody that feels the need for a donate for my birthday on Facebook, maybe choose one of those.
0: Yes. (laughs) Those causes would be wonderful. Yes, that and the Ronald McDonald House.
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: Okay, so... Kat is going to take us into her story this week. And this week, she has not told me anything about her case at all. She hasn't even given me the name. So I don't know anything about this story. So take it away, Kat.
1: So I was gonna do another one close to home. Um, And generally I'll probably choose ones more local to me. But I just happened to stumble upon this story. And it's funny because Steph is doing her story next week. And she chose one from Texas as well, correct? Yes. And then I, cho- I just found this one. And it just happened to take place in Texas as well. And I feel like it's an important case. There's so much to it. Hopefully I get all the information in it that I want to. Um, but I just happened to see... Um, the story on the view, actually, and that I had to know more about it because it was just a small segment. So then I went down this rabbit hole and came out the other side, and
0: <laughs> I, had
1: do, I, I just had to do the story. So I think um, this one is the story of a young, inspirational woman who had been through unimaginable things. But this is a story of one survivor. Not only did she survive, but she's gone on to just be crazy, inspirational. She's now written a book. I'll get into that later. Um, But this is a story of one murder and one miracle survivor. I don't want to tell you who survives yet. So, Molly Olguin and Christine Chapa met at a friend's house in 2012. The girls were dating for about four months. They were on a date the night of the incident. This is part of Christine's life that was a secret from her family. She'd been afraid to tell them that she was gay because being raised in a small, mostly Catholic town in Texas, she was afraid they might actually disown her. Now, Molly and Christine had ended up at Violet Andrews Park, in Portland, Texas on their date. They've been driving around that night and this is where they ended up. The park itself is really beautiful. I was looking at it online um, to kind of get a feel for it. And it's one of those places that would be perfect for a date. There's trails and a water view and um, there's palm trees down the trails, even because it's in Texas, Southern Texas. So it's beautiful there. It's nice there. the teen girls had only been there for a few minutes and we're on one of those wooden outlook platforms. I don't know if you can picture them. Yeah. Um, So that when you're standing there, there's like a um, small bluff or a cliff below you that goes down to the water and there's like beach grass and stuff down there. Uh, The girls were on the platform for just a few minutes when a man passed by. Uh, They had been snuggling and kissing like any young couple in love. The man made a comment to them about the three of them having sex, which they obviously huffed off, and the man disappeared. But just moments later, the man returned wearing a mask and carrying a gun. He pointed it at Molly and forced the girls to walk down um, the short rocky cliff bordering the water and outside of the normal pass for the park. I assume so they would be hidden from sight. Once the girls were down there, he robbed them. Then he forced Christine to blindfold and gag Molly with black duct tape. Then he had her do the same for herself. So now both girls are blindfolded and have duct tape around their mouths. Um, When Christine did it for herself, she was able to leave a little bit of room so she could see. Um, He bound both girls and then he sexually assaulted Christine. After that, he had them both get up. Both girls were partially undressed. Um, and he shot both girls ex- execution style.
0: Oh my God.
1: Mm-hmm. Molly and Christine were left for dead. They lay there overnight. The next day, a married couple who'd been in the park looking for birds to photograph, spotted their bodies in a grassy area in leaves and some brush. As you can imagine, the scene was absolutely horrific. The, um, Christine was in the fe- a fetal type position and she had her arm over Molly. Now, obviously they called emergency services um that there was two dead bodies there and when the deputy arrived on the scene he checked the girls for signs of life assuming they were both dead the first girl he checked unfortunately had no pulse but to his surprise when he checked the next girl she made noises and small groans and moved so one of the two had miraculously survived this nightmare The surviving girl was rushed to the hospital in critical condition with a bullet wound to the head. The families were told that one of the girls had survived and they would need someone to identify the surviving girls since their faces had been unrecognizable. Now came the most heartbreaking question, which girl had survived? The family was informed their daughter, um, so Christine's family was informed that their daughter was gay and that the two girls had been in a relationship. So Christine's,
0: wait, her family didn't know
1: that she was gay?
0: Like prior to this accident?
1: No, because this wow. is small town. Tex- so Molly's family, as far as I'm aware, knew. Molly was 19, um, but Christine, she was 18, um, and it's small town, Texas. Her dad's right. ex-military. I don't know that she had any inkling from her family that that was something that they would, but just from I do know in an interview she said that her other people she knew that had come out in the area like friends of hers that had come out had been disowned by their family and she didn't want to lose her family so she was afraid to tell them she was gay basically
0: right I can understand that
1: so um when the family was informed that she was gay and that the two girls had been in a relationship, Christine's mother, um, actually said, I don't care if she's gay. I just want to know if my daughter's okay. So Christine Chapla's family hurried to the hospital. Her mother, Grace was, um, struck with an anxiety attack at the idea of having to identify her daughter. Mm. So when they were in the ICU room with her, Um, She was swollen and had tubes coming out of her, um, the girl, the surviving girl, and she was unsure if it was her daughter just by looking at her. So in order to determine, the sibling said that they would check her over because their mom was kind of melting down, I'm assuming. I mean, I can't imagine being faced with having to know whether this one surviving daughter girl is yours or the other one either way it's very heartbreaking either way one family is leaving without a child which is the worst possible outcome I mean other than both families leaving without a child so in order to determine whether it was their sister um, the siblings checked over her extremities since they couldn't tell by her face Um, She was so unrecognizable that the only way they identified her was by a scar on one of her toes from a break a few years earlier playing softball.
0: Hmm.
1: So 18-year-old Christine Chapa had miraculously survived eight hours in the dark night after being shot in the head. Unfortunately, that meant that her girlfriend, Molly Olgain, had not made it. In an interview with Molly's sister, Megan Olgain, described her sister as smart, full of life, and full of ambition. She couldn't make sense of why something like this would happen to someone like her sister. Molly was just 19 years old when she was murdered. Christine actually credits Molly with keeping her alive through the night. I don't know if she in spirit or just having her there. Um, but she actually said in an interview that she, she likes to think that Molly is what kept her alive through the night. Though Christine had survived the attack, she wasn't out of the woods. The family was told the next 24 hours would be critical. But Chris was strong. She's a fighter. Her recovery was long and painful process, but her mother was by her side, even living in the rehab center with her for three months. Not only did she survive, but she remembered everything that happened. She, that's unusual. For a traumatic brain injury, that's not very common. A lot of times people with a traumatic brain injury don't remember the accident that happened or details around what happened. They may remember things from before and after, but usually that's, I mean, you can't ever It's different with everyone, but it's unusual that she remembered everything. In less than a week's time, she'd actually regained enough strength to communicate by writing. She did lose a lot of function in her left side. um, And she actually will not be able to drive ever, unfortunately, because she's lost her peripheral vision because of
0: the injury. Oh, my God.
1: Yeah. She was able to give the police details about what happened, though. And incredibly, she remembered um, Under Armour gloves that the murderer had been wearing and that he smelled strongly of
0: cigarettes. Yeah. Ew. I know. So, oh my god. I have to pause you for a second. So I'm sitting downstairs on my couch and we have these French doors. Uh And... I was looking out the window across from where I was sitting, and Uh someone freaking walked behind me. I saw (laughs) a a fucking person's shadow in my window, and I had to get up and go look. So that's what the noises were that you heard. Okay, I'm like, I'm I'm trying to tell my story.
1: I keep hearing these noises in the background. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, Steph's getting murdered in her house as I'm telling a murder story.
0: Oh my god, I was about to fucking have a panic attack, dude. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, continue.
1: Did we figure out who's outside your house?
0: So I actually think it's the neighbor's house. <laughs> there's a, Wait, what? And there's a light on in the neighbor's oh. house outside the window, and he has like He's a not really, really nice guy, but he's really weird. Um, and he, He's got, like, paper up against this window, and that's oh. the light is on in that room, and he must be walking back and forth, because nobody's oh. in my house. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm dying.
1: <laughs> well, I'm glad everything's okay over there. <laughs> okay.
0: You may continue.
1: <laughs> yeah. Please don't get murdered during our murder murder podcast
0: i will do my best over here (laughs) Uh, so
1: christine was able to remember that the person who murdered molly and attacked her was wearing Uh, under armor gloves which is kind of a crazy detail like she was remember she was able to keep that duct tape so she could see a little bit she saw him pull out a condom and she could see his gloves she remembers that he smelled really strong he he smelled strongly of cigarettes now within just a few more weeks she was able to give a description to a forensic sketch artist this was an extra rough period of her recovery because her family had finally told Christine that molly hadn't made it her Mm -hmm. family kept that information for her from her for a couple weeks because they'd been afraid it would hurt her recovery which I can understand. I'm sure that's a horrible decision to have to grapple with as a family. Right. Around the crime scene, there was discarded can, like a drink, and cigarette butts. So investigators ran the DNA and they get a hit for a convicted felon. The felon's name was Dylan Spellman. His previous crimes include home invasion which isn't murder and rape but uh, don't these things always escalate yeah yeah he and in my opinion he even looks like the sketch that was drawn from christine's memory so he looks good for the crime like his dna is at the crime scene he's a convicted felon um and he looks like the sketch but There's a huge discrepancy.
0: Uh-oh. Christine
1: recalls the attacker to have been about 5'8 to 5'10 max. So that's an average or slightly smaller than average man. But when investigators bring Dylan Spellman in to interrogate him, he's a giant. He's oh. six foot 10.
0: Oh my God.
1: That's a huge difference. Yeah that's a whole foot taller <laughs> and I feel like if he had been that tall you would be like oh he was a huge guy you know like right, that's right. unnoticeable so on top of that Christine is unable to identify Spellman in a photo lineup so someone that looked really good for this crime like all the puzzle pieces are fitting the scary thing is is sometimes all those things can fit and maybe it's not necessarily that person. So Wait, something
0: different... are we sure that her memory isn't like skewed from being shot in the head? Um,
1: As far as I can tell, they believe her memory is pretty up on point. Okay. Um, Well, let's, let's go on with the rest of it and then
0: okay
1: yeah okay so when um there's a lot of tips that come in from good samaritans including one about a white car that had been seen speeding away from the park that night but nothing comes from any of the tips and the case unfortunately goes cold for quite some time in the meantime christine is working hard to recover. She's also struggling internally with who she is. She hasn't just lost a friend, but someone she was in love with. When she finally discusses the relationship with her mother, she's surprised to hear her mother is just sad that she hadn't gotten to meet Molly. So even though her family had known, I don't think Christine knew her family knew she was gay and that she was in a relationship with Molly. It might not have been discussed. So she did finally come out to her family. And her family could give zero fucks that their daughter was gay. Her mother, Grace Chapa, just wants her to be happy and to be okay, and I don't know if that comes from having a kid who was just almost mortally wounded, but I just wish every child had a mother like her. In fact, the entire family was accepting of Christine's sexual orientation. Her ex-military father is just happy she's alive and thriving. I think I take for granted that I live in a diverse place in the U.S. where you can be any color, sexual orientation, and for the most part, you'll just be accepted. I forget that small towns like South Texas don't necessarily take kindly to people's differences. Right. You know, it's sad, mostly because the things that make us different is the best part about most of us. So Exactly. After two years of a stalled investigation into the attack and murder, a mysterious letter arrives addressed to Christine's father. The author of the letter claims that someone had tried to hire him as a hitman to take out Christine since she was the only surviving witness to the murder. Bless you. <laughs> Thank
0: you. <laughs> Came out of nowhere.
1: <laughs> so Christine's father gets a letter. It's addressed to him. It's only for him, it says for your eyes only, and it's from someone who claims to be a hitman or tried to be hired as a hitman to kill Christine since she's the only surviving witness to this murder. Now the proclaimed hired hitman in the letter, the author of the letter said he would give her father the information of the man responsible so that Mr. Chapa could go and take care of him himself. So, basically, wow. he'd give up the, the murderer, the person who killed Molly, so that Mr. Choppa could go take care of him himself. He then claimed that the man responsible was Cristobal Melchor, and he gave him the man's address. Included with the letter was a picture of the suspect of Cristobal Melchor. You got all that? <laughs> <laughs> Now within this letter are details that only the killer or someone the killer had told about the crime would know. Details that investigators had never released to the public. The family was understandably terrified. They moved out of their home and stayed somewhere secret in order to protect their daughter while investigators tracked down Cristobal Melchor. Now when detectives meet with Melchor, They're immediately confused as to how he could have committed the murder and attack because military records have him a thousand miles away in California at the time of the crimes. Wow. Yeah. They show Melcher the letter and his picture. When he sees the picture, he's furious. He informs investigators that the picture they have isn't the entire picture. There's a person missing. It just so happens that his old roommate was in the original picture. So it was a cropped picture. There was another person in the picture that had been cropped out, his old roommate. A roommate that he had filed charges against for theft of some of his firearms. The roommate, one Mr. David Strickland. Now here's where the twist comes in. Detectives already knew this name. Remember the tip from a good samaritan about a white car speeding away? The caller that gave that tip was none other than David fucking Strickland.
0: What the what is it?
1: What is it with psychos who commit crimes having to insert themselves into the investigation of their crimes? This stupid asshole would have likely gotten away with everything, scot free, but he couldn't help himself, this little narcissistic piece of shit. He had to be a part of things after it all. So the tip, the letter pointing to someone else, it all got him in the mix of things when investigators had never looked at him before. So now now when investigators start taking a really hard look at Strickland, they go talk to the police department where the charges had been filed by Melcher. The police department is more than helpful. They hand over evidence for the case which includes a backpack of Strickland's. The backpack was basically a ready-made rape kit.
0: What the fuck?
1: It contained a firearm, duct tape, flex cuffs, condoms, lube, and Under Armour gloves. Those fucking gloves. Uh Uh-huh. Also, who carries... A backpack with this stuff in, like, unless you're going out to rape people, who, why, (laughs) what, I, I, like, none of, I don't know. That's it's it's like those people, those memes where there's like somebody getting in line at the supermarket with a shovel, some duct tape, uh, some (laughs) lie, like they like things you'd use to cover up a murder. It's like, this is so, it's creepy. That's just, it's just creepy. So this is huge. One of the things Christine had remembered that night were gloves, the killer had worn. Under Armour gloves. And here we have Under Armour gloves in his backpack. Now, police found and arrested David Strickland. They actually arrested his wife, Laura Strickland, as well, for tampering with evidence. Of I guess she, I guess she's the one that delivered the letter which is pretty messed up yeah. but I have a feeling she must not have known what she was doing and the charges were dropped so I I think they pro- she probably didn't know what she was doing so then the police are interrogating Strickland he was So incredibly arrogant. You can watch a video. I don't know if it's on YouTube, but if you Google, you can find a video of his interrogation. He's so arrogant and nothing short of a sociopath. He clearly thought he was untouchable. He would make comments like he knew something, but then not tell them anything. Strickland was playing some kind of game he thought he was going to win. When the police get annoyed, With his antics, they end up ending the interrogation and sending him back to his cell. And when they send him back to his cell, he says, you don't even have any good details yet. What? Uh Uh-huh. He's just so... Oh, And now, I know this isn't how police operate, but God, I wish somebody, anyone in that room would have accidentally elbowed him in the face after that (laughs) comment. Like... Oh, it's just the arrogance of it. Yeah. So, police have his backpack and all those things from his other arrest. And the gun that had been found in Strickland's backpack had been the same caliber, 45 as the gun used in the attack. So, this gun is registered in David Strickland's name. And investigators send shell casings from that gun. They test fired it and send the shell casings to be compared to two shell casings that were recovered at the crime scene. This is the break they needed. They match. So he was charged with capital murder, aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, aggravated sexual assault, and aggravated kidnapping. Christine testified at the trial, like the warrior that she is. Remember that cocky guy in the interrogation room? He didn't even have the balls to look at her when she walked in the courtroom.
0: Of course he didn't. They never do.
1: He wouldn't look at her when she testified. For some reason, it thrills me when I learn that someone who's as narcissistic and psycho just turns out to be a little coward. Like that, I don't know, it just, uh, it's somehow satisfying to realize, like to see somebody who thought they were on top of the world and untouchable, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, you're actually a cowardly little boy.
0: Right, and it's like, it makes it seem like he's almost like ashamed of what he did, but how can (sighs) a sociopath be ashamed, you know? Well,
1: he still has never admitted any of it so is he I mean he should be ashamed absolutely I don't know yeah so at trial the prosecutors provided the letter and a similar draft so there was on Strickland's computer they retrieved a draft of the letter which a few lines of it were the exact same so they were able to show that They showed his Under Armour gloves and his little rape backpack he carried. And finally, the shell casings at the scene that matched those from his personal gun. It was enough. On September 29th, 2016, David Strickland was convicted on all counts against him. He was given life in prison without the possibility of
0: parole. Now, why aren't these stories more, like on the news more. I feel like this is something we should have heard about.
1: Um, I mean, locally, I'm sure it was huge. I, if it was in Illinois, I am certain I would have been following the case. Right. Because it's so far away from me. I don't know if that has something to do with it. Yeah, I'm trying to think back to 2012. What was I doing? I do feel like some of the cases though, too, there is this mommy hole in my life where when i had small children i didn't pay as much attention to the outside world and what was going on so (laughs) this is in 2012 well 2006 when he was convicted but when it actually happened so i feel like that's in my mommy hole (laughs) where i (laughs) missed some life there for a while but yeah yeah so um so he was given life in prison without the possibility of revolt revolt parole. Um, And I'm happy with the verdict, but something nags at me about this case. David Strickland walked past two girls holding hands and kissing. He then murdered murdered one of those women, attacked, sexually assaulted them. Why was this not tried as a hate crime? Now, they said it's because he was already being charged with the maximum sentence possible, and To some point, I understand that. He wouldn't have gotten anything extra if it had been tried as a hate crime, but, and I know they would have had to prove that it was a hate crime to try it that way, but I feel like charging it as a hate crime is important, even if it would have taken extra effort from the prosecutors. This case made some same-sex couples in Southern Texas more afraid to be who they were in 2012. To hear that another same-sex young couple was attempted, he att- someone attempted to murder both of them, brutally attacked them, it's terrifying.
0: Yeah, so yeah.
1: I think charging it as a hate crime would have made a statement, and I feel that is important. It should have been, I understand it would have taken more work, I understand he wouldn't have gotten anything extra for the sentence from it but I think it would have been an important thing to do and I really wish that they had chosen to go that route
0: I agree because you said this was 2012 right when it happened
1: yes the trial was well it took so it took two years from when it happened for them to find Strickland because you know he sent him a letter saying hey look at me and (laughs) So 2014 is when they started looking at him. His trial finished in 2016, so OK, four so years. But... So but in
0: 2012, people, people are ignorant, and I say that in the nicest way ever about the gay community. It's just like they don't, either don't want to see it or they just don't care.. Um, But hate crimes are a real thing. Like, it happens every day. And more awareness needs to be brought to that.
1: Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. And that's why I think, and especially in a place like this. So it's not happening in San Francisco. This is somewhere where people are already afraid to come out. And then you have a crime like this that happens. I feel like it's even more important in an area like this to charge it as a hate crime. But yeah. So Christine Chapa is nothing short of a real life lesbian superhero. Her Twitter bio simply says, I take bullets. Wow. <laughs> She's walking around right now with bullet fragments lodged in her head, going about her day just being a goddamn badass. She's written a book called Water's Edge, and it doesn't have a release date yet, but I cannot wait to read it. I think Steph and I should probably read this one together,
0: maybe. Oh, yeah, for sure.
1: Is a, um, a podcast, book club, is that a thing? <laughs> <laughs> maybe we should all read it together. Um, I don't know when it will be come out because there's not a, day, a release date yet, but I have to like add it to my Google Alerts so that I get something when it's coming. But I'm very excited for this one. Now, here's the last little bit. David Strickland is currently appealing his conviction. The appeal is based on new DNA evidence.
0: What the now, fuck?
1: <laughs> okay, but here's the thing. So <laughs> there was a hair, a single hair, found on Molly at the crime scene. The, DNA on the hair, which at the time of the original trial in 2016, I guess the DNA that they're using, the DNA testing that they're using now was not available at the time, which seems weird to me because it wasn't that long ago, but okay. So according to Strickland's attorneys, he didn't do it because of this piece of hair that was found on Molly and that the hair doesn't match him. Now, what I can't find because a lot of articles refuse to name who it does match is does the hair match Spellman, the six foot 10 giant guy, or is it just a random hair? And here's my whole thing on all of this. I'm always afraid I'm going to be charged with murder because I shed like a German shepherd and my hair is all over the world. My husband literally pulls my hair out of his butt crack and has no idea how I got there. (laughs) I cannot, I can't imagine that David Strickland will win this appeal. Now, if it's a pubic hair and it's of some specific male that was in the area, I could see maybe somebody else having been there also but you have shell casings that match. They're from David Strickland's gun. He had the Under Armour gloves. He wrote the letter. He has information that no one could know. So even if the hair doesn't match, it doesn't really erase any of the other evidence that convicted him.
0: Right. But I'm, and I'm just- curious... Go ahead. Are we sure it's not... Um, You said the hair was found on... Which, which it, girl? Did you say the hair was found on...
1: Of- Molly. Molly is the one that um died. Okay. It was found on her at the crime scene.
0: And it doesn't match the other girl? No. No? Hmm.
1: It does match someone, but the articles that I read would not release who it matched. It said because they weren't... I wish I could remember the exact wording... Um, But it wouldn't say who it matched. It is a male. And it said because, um, basically because they weren't sure if he was, like, he was arrested or whatever. So they're not going to put his name out there. But it did make it kind of seem like it matched DNA of other things at the crime scene, which makes me think it was Spellman that it matched so his, the guy that, yeah, that um, the cigarette butts and the can that was found yeah. at the crime scene so if it matched him
0: to me that's weird why is his hair on one of the girls maybe he was an accomplice
1: but, but she would I mean you'd know if there was more that she could see so she would know if there was more than one maybe. I really don't think I don't
0: know but maybe after she was shot um like obviously the crazy person raped her or whatever but she she, she couldn't have been conscious that entire time to, like um so no she but she did Did you just sneeze again? Yes, I did. <laughs> Will you stop that? <laughs>
1: There's a over there. I'm trying to tell a story here, okay? <laughs> so here's Usually the simplest explanation is the correct explanation. And right. that's not always the case, but I feel like in this case if the girl's were dead and they were not dead, but Molly had passed away um Christine was unconscious for parts of the night. She actually remembers waking up at one point and trying to stand up, but she just kept falling down. Now she did have such a a traumatic brain injury that she could not talk. And she did lose consciousness, consciousness while she was down in the like grassy area towards the water. So it's nighttime. It's pitch black down there where they are. And if spellman had come there at night and smoked his cigarettes on that platform and drank his whatever the can was he could have been there while the girls were there at night just hanging out and he wouldn't have even known they were down there because he wouldn't have been able to see them you wouldn't have been able to see them until the next day when the couple came by Um, and by the way, I don't know if you noticed, but they were bird watchers. (laughs) (laughs) So the nosy couple found them, but, um, so if he had been there at the same time as them, it's possible his hair could have gotten on them any number of ways and he didn't even know they were there, you know? Right. Also, I just, the other evidence against Strickland is so undeniable. It was his gun that was used, 100%. You know, he, the fact that she, from day one, said he was wearing Under Armour gloves, and then they find Under Armour gloves in this sicko's little rape kit. Right, right. I mean, and then there's just the letter, the details of the letter. He basically tried to frame his old roommate in order to get out of charges that his roommate had filed against him. I I don't know. It's all insane, but I really sincerely hope, it, and just, so I highly recommend anybody go watch the interrogation video of him too. It's not very long, the clips of it, but he's just such a little weasel. He's just, such a <laughs> weasel. oh, he's so arrogant and so, he just reminds me of, so his little background, um, his dad was like a well to do businessman, and I just picture him being like the little Brock Turner or something in the oh inter- my
0: God.
1: like just like you can't touch me, my dad's got money, and I've got attorneys, and like I just he's just so arrogant, it makes me so mad <laughs> so and I can't imagine somebody that didn't do it. I mean, everybody reacts differently you have I have no idea, but the things that he was saying. The, the final quote of him in there, I paused the video. I couldn't even stop, like, you don't even have any good details yet? What? Right. I mean, he had, he had to have done it. I, I can't imagine any other scenario based on the evidence, but I want to know what our listeners think. So please you can either tweet us after you've listened to the podcast and tell us what you think i actually may on thursday um thursday or friday put a uh i've never done this before one of those what's it called a poll thank you like (laughs) a, a quiz it's not a quiz um on twitter so our twitter handle which i don't think i actually ever said you can obviously search um true crime project and we'll come up you'll see our little logo but our actual handle is at crime underscore project so you can find us there you can tweet us if you have some information that i have not given here and you want to share it with us or if you have some crazy theory i would totally read it on the podcast i'd be interested to read it myself you can email that to us at true crime project pod pod at gmail.com and uh, as usual Steph will post all the pictures on instagram um uh, I guess we'll see. I'm mean, gonna actually. We have to set our Google alerts for this disgusting piece of crap's name, David Strickland, so that I see what happens with his appeal. But I can't imagine it really going anywhere.
0: At least we hope it doesn't.
1: No. Ugh. You know what? Honestly, even if he didn't do it, I feel like he's where he belongs. <laughs> <laughs> he. I. uh Just his. The interrogation of him just made my skin crawl. Somebody needs to slap him around if nothing else, so. Right. All right, so we do have a surprise for you. We are going to release a bonus episode this Friday, so tomorrow just for you. It's a lighthearted kind of break from the serious of the cases, and you should definitely check it out.
0: All righty. Is is that all you have today, Kat?
1: It is.
0: <laughs> okay. Um definitely check out our mini sode,
1: guys. What'd you say? I said definitely check out our mini sewed
0: Oh, I just not at all what I thought you not said. A- <laughs> oh my god. I clearly need sleep in my life today. <laughs> <laughs> um but yes, check out our mini episode when it releases. And don't forget to hop on iTunes and give us a rating. Um, same on Spotify and Google and Play well, when Google yeah. decides to, you know, get its crap together and get it up there.
1: But... Absolutely. Google is making me insane. Google Play is usually the media <clears throat> that I use. I always listen to everything on Google Play. And so I've been relentlessly checking but I've had to download Spotify in order to keep up with the podcast because Google is just not adding us. But hopefully we will be up on Google Play soon as well. Yes. Uh, can listen to us anywhere you get your podcasts.
0: All right. Have a great night, guys.
1: Stay safe and um, maybe don't go to an Outlook at a park looking over the water, even though it's beautiful at nighttime, because we don't want you to end up good donezo
0: yeah don't do that
1: <laughs> all right guys we will check you later on our mini sode tomorrow it's a bonus episode so come listen to us
0: bye guys
1: bye